Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, my name's Nigel. If you don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here at Gateway. And this morning, um, I get the privilege of beginning the new preaching series. I always seem to start preaching series and then leave everybody else to clear up the mess. Um, so today, we're starting a new series, which we're calling Let the Nations Be Glad. Um, as the nations of the world, or many of them, are gathered in Russia to celebrate the World Cup, um, I, I don't know if anybody's aware that it's the World Cup at the moment, um, we just really want to ask a question, what does God think about the nations? What is his view? Why are, why are there nations at all? And what is God doing in and through the nations? This is uh, very relevant for us at Gateway. Um, at, at, you probably will have heard that right from the beginning of this church, uh, that we've kind of lived with the phrase that we're to build locally, but to think internationally. Um, and as you know, uh, particularly right now, God's put Burundi on our heart, but there's other nations as well, I believe, that he'll lead us to be at work in. We're made up of many nations. You only have to look around the room to realize that. We're part of a family of churches from across the nations, regions beyond, uh, which is a great privilege. And we only have to look at, switch on our tellies these days, isn't that true, to uh, be bombarded by the issues of nations and the, the issues uh, as nations try to work together or not or uh, have summits together or not uh, and all those kind of things uh, work together in European unions or not um, and so on. The, the issues of the nations are constantly in front of us, aren't they? So what is God doing among the nations is a good question for us to ask. Um, there's been some grand things said around the World Cup. Um, I think the Bible says some slightly grander things about the nations, but uh, there are similarities. I just want to quote to you um, the words of Gianni Infantino this week at the opening ceremony of the World Cup. He, of course, is... Joel? You, you wanted a shout out today, so um, who is he? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, he's the president of FIFA, which I would have expected you to know. Disappointing. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, what he said was, as of today, for one month, football will conquer Russia, and from Russia, football will conquer the world. Big claims. Very exciting. Enjoy the biggest celebration on the earth, he said. Well, I don't know if it's... If you read Revelation 21, you'll probably see that there will be a bigger celebration. Um, anyway... What we want to do really is look at the Bible picture of the nations. Today is the overview. We're going to say, what is God about? Where do we fit into that? And we're going to start by looking this morning at the origin of nations. So we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Bible to kick this series off. Uh, we're going to have a quick whistle-stop tour of uh, Genesis chapters 1 to 11, which really sets up God's purposes in all the world. That's what we're going to talk about today, just a small subject. God's purposes in the whole world over the whole of time, okay? We're going to do that in half an hour. Um, but in Genesis 1 to 11, we get the picture of God setting up uh, God, mankind on the earth, telling them what they're about, uh, and we also get the birth of nations in Genesis 11. So today is broad brush 
brush strokes. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to pick up some of the bits along the way, some of the detail of the story. And then the end of the series, uh, Colin mentioned it last week on the 29th of July, we're, we're going to have a celebration of the nations. We hope we're gonna, uh, that everybody's going to uh, wear clothes from different nations. We're going to eat food, hopefully, from different nations. This all has to come together yet. But on the, on the 29th of July, we're going to have a celebration of the nations to end this series. So let's begin in um, Genesis 1 to 11. Let me read a little bit from those two chapters just to set the scene. So Genesis 1, uh, and this is verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that is uh, God's commission to mankind as they're first created at the beginning of the Bible. And then if we uh, jump to Genesis 11. There's a whole lot of mess that takes place in between Genesis 1 and 11 as mankind rebels against God and decides that he's going to uh, run things his own way. And we get to Genesis 11, and this is what we read. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinir and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks. There's a theme this morning. It's about bricks. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be, we will be scattered over the face of all the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so that's the birth of nations at Babel in Genesis 11. There's a lot that happens between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11, but there is a great thing called the Bible Project. Now, has anyone come across this before? They do short videos to encapsulate what is happening in big chunks of the Bible. I have never come across it until this week. Somebody mentioned it to me before, but... Oh my goodness, where have, where have I been all these years? This is a fantastic resource. Go on the website of the Bible Project. Anyway, we're just going to have a look at the video for Genesis 1 to 11, because this uh, says uh, very succinctly what I couldn't possibly do and tells us a story of the beginning of the Bible. The first book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's pronounced reshit, uh, and it just means beginning. Now, there's a lot of stories from the book of Genesis, and it's easy just to pull out a specific story and, and try to tell you what it might mean. But we think the best way to understand this book is to look at the book as a whole and show you how the whole thing is designed. The book is designed to fall into two main parts. 
You have uh, chapters 1 through 11, which is telling the story of God and the whole world. And then you have the second part, which is about God and Abraham's family, as chapters 12 through 50. And how the two of those parts relate, that's where you find the message of the book. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. The first part of Genesis begins with a creation story where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery chaos and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can can flourish. That sounds nice. It does sound nice. In fact, seven different times God says of all that he's made that it's good. And this is where we meet the first human characters in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both individual characters, but they're also representative. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, and Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And God creates them in his image. In other words, humanity reflects or is meant to reflect the, the, the creativity, the goodness and character of the creator out into the world that he's made. And they're supposed to reproduce and make cultures and neighborhoods and art and gardens and and everything else. But he gives them a a moral choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. And he tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will die. What's that all about? So up till now, God has been the one defining and providing what is good. And so God is the one with the knowledge of good and evil. But now this tree represents a choice. Will the humans trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to seize the opportunity and define good and evil for themselves? And Adam and Eve eat the fruit. This is the core biblical explanation for that concept of sin, that desire to call the shots myself. It's the inward turn of the human heart to do what's good for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you and and your tribe. And the problem is humans are horrible at defining good and evil without God. And so now that humanity's made this choice, things get really, really, really bad. So Genesis 3 through 11 is like tracing this downward spiral of all, all humanity. So Adam and Eve, they can't trust each other anymore. And so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good and evil might be different than Eve's, and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story is about God being angry, but it actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of his world. And so out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his world, he washes it clean with the flood. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Yeah, don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. I mean, he must be a pretty great guy. But this is the story most people don't know because it's kind of weird is that Noah gets off the boat and he plants a vineyard and he gets totally plastered and then something sketchy happens in his tent with his son. It's a tragic story. So from here humanity grows again 
But things are as bad as before. And the last story is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story, you have all of the nations uniting together to use this new technology they have, the brick. And they want to make a name for themselves and build this big city with a huge tower that will reach up to the gods. But God knows that this city will be a nightmare. And so in his mercy, he scatters them. And all of these stories, they're underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And this leaves you wondering, is there any hope for humanity? Yes, yeah, there is. It's the very next story that answers that question. It's the beginning of God's mission to rescue and restore his world. Hey there, this is Tim. Pretty good, hey? So there is hope at the end of Genesis 11. We know the overall story of the Bible, which is basically God's rescue plan for humanity and indeed for the whole creation. And that really is a summary of the Bible, I guess, is it's God's mission, if you like, to reclaim the world, to reclaim the people that he's made in his own image but also to reclaim the whole of creation. We know that through Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. We've already celebrated that with communion this morning as we've shared bread and wine. Uh, We've celebrated Jesus' death in our place and his resurrection that we might have relationship with God, be restored to that relationship. But I think, and this is the key bit for us this morning as we look at this big picture, I think that often our thinking stops right there. And we think that is the main thing about being a Christian. The main thing about the gospel is that we get right with God, that we have a hope, that we have a future, and we're okay. But actually, God's plan extends to the restoration of the whole of the created order. That's what the Bible says to us. The Bible talks ultimately, doesn't it, about a new heaven and a new earth. N.T. Wright, uh, theologian, says it like this. God will do for the whole cosmos in the end what he did for Jesus at Easter. So the risen Jesus, remember, is the prototype of the new creation. God will do this through Jesus himself. The ascended Jesus, remember, is the ruler within the new creation as it bursts in upon the old. So what Jesus begins in in coming back from death, What he begins, he's the prototype of what will go on and spread through the whole creation so that ultimately God has a whole new creation, a new heaven and a new earth uh, which glorifies him. If Jesus is the prototype, then we are the first fruits, the Bible says. So James 1 verse 18 says this, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So what he does in restoring his relationship with us is only the beginning of restoring the whole of creation uh, to his original plan. Now this has some interesting consequences for us. And these are consequences that it's really important for us to understand actually as we live out our Christian life. So when God restores us to relationship with him, it's not just So that then we're okay and we can kind of relax and hang out until he uh, creates a new heaven and a new earth. 
or somehow that we can escape from all the, uh, all the mess and the chaos in the world that we've heard about, uh, and we'll be okay in our own little world, we're, we're okay with God, uh, and let's wait till he sorts all the rest out. It's not like that at all when we read the Bible. Actually, when God restores our relationship with him, he restores us also to our original purpose as human beings. Amen? So what was our original purpose? Our original purpose was to bring, God's glo- bring God glory by bearing his image in all the world. Amen? Is that right? Actually, what he did when he put Adam and Eve in the garden is he said, I want you, your purpose is to fill and subdue the whole earth. Yeah? So he, gave, he put them in a garden, but he gave them a wilderness planet. And this plan for, for human beings was that they would fill this earth, that they would bring order, that as they spread out over the whole earth, they filled it, that they would uh, transform it in a way that glorified God, so that everything they did glorified, brought glory to God as they bore his image and spread out over the earth and brought transformation. Amen? Did you understand that that is the purpose of God of, for, for human beings? And actually, uh, what happens in the gospel is that human beings are restored to their original purpose. So once again, God's plan for us is to spread out over the whole earth, to, to bear his image and to bring him glory in all that we do. Amen? It's exciting, isn't it? That is, we're not just here sitting it out until heaven comes. We've got an incredible purpose that has been restored amongst the people of God, that we're to bear his image in all that we do as we spread out over the whole earth. And what the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 19 is that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So there's this sense that the the people of God, the church, in this restored purpose, have this incredible uh, uh, mission that is their responsibility, and, that, and the Bible says the whole of creation is waiting for them to be revealed, for them to do their mission, for them to usher in this kingdom as they bear God's image and spread out over the whole earth. What does this mean for us? As we look out, so we're stepping back today, we're looking at the big picture, we'll come back to the detail of how does it work with the nations, but what does this big picture mean for us? What it means is that each one of us, whoever we are, whatever we feel like, whatever our gifts and skills, whatever our background, each one of us has a part to play in the transformation of the earth. And that wherever God's put us, however small and insignificant it might seem, actually our job now as those who have had the relationship with God restored is now to bear his image to bring him glory, and to bring the transformation of his kingdom wherever he puts us. So whether that be on Monday morning in the workplace, whether it be on Tuesday lunchtime at school, or on Wednesday evening at the gym, or on Friday night at the pub, or Saturday afternoon at the match, or Sunday morning in church, wherever God puts us, wherever our life takes us, Our job now is not to huddle together as God's people, but to spread out and whatever we're involved with, to to bear his image, to bring transformation, and to give him glory. Amen? What an incredible purpose we've been called to. It's quite the opposite from sitting, uh, what we're doing now. This uh, This is great. 
It's great to gather together. It's great to be reminded what God is doing amongst us. It's great to worship together. But actually, this is not our main purpose. Our main purpose is to spread out what God originally intended. And the, t- the terrible tragedy of Babel in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 11 was that everybody wanted to gather together. Actually, not even for God's glory, but to build a name for themselves. So the very things that God had purposed for mankind, the opposite were happening. They weren't, sket- they weren't scattering and spreading over the whole earth. They were huddling together. And they weren't bringing glory to God by, what they, by the way that they were living. They were seeking to make a name for themselves and to bring them, them, themselves glory. So God said, I've had enough of that. We're not going on like this because uh, this is not my purpose for mankind. And in the gospel, we are restored to our original purpose. And what an incredible thing that is for us to know that that is what we're about. Amen? Is this making sense to you? Are you excited about this purpose? So God redeems our original purpose. He, he also redeems in the gospel our understanding of the nations. So where nations began as a dividing force among human beings, the gospel brings reconciliation to the extent that the Apostle Paul says that now uh, God has made one new man in Christ. So those who were divided and scattered, now those who know him uh, are not only reconciled to God, but they're reconciled to one another. Hence the joy of diversity amongst the people of God. And actually now he redeems the diversity of the nations and uses it to bring him glory and uses it to extend his kingdom over the whole earth. That's exciting, isn't it? Not only is our view of the nations redeemed, but our view of unity as human beings is redeemed. Because uh, in Genesis 11, mankind was using their unity against God to make a name for themselves. But uh, what we find in the Bible is that unity per se is not bad or good. Unity can be used against God or it can be used to God's glory. But it's a very powerful thing. And what the Bible says is that as God's people come together in unity, then that's an incredibly beautiful and wonderful thing that brings him glory, actually, and that fulfills his kingdom purposes in the earth. So Paul read the, uh, the section to us just earlier, didn't he, from uh, John 17. Let me read it again because it is so key. I have, this is Jesus speaking, praying to the Father. I have given them, that's us, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's incredible purpose actually in our unity now. And in fact, the Bible says that it's key to the message of God, to the, to the bearing of God's image, to his kingdom going out over the, over the earth. So our understanding of nations is, uh, uh, sorry, our understanding of our own purpose is redeemed in the gospel. Our understanding of nations is redeemed. Our understanding of unity is redeemed. And here, one more thing that I want to say before we uh, wrap up this introduction, that this transformation that is our purpose, so you know that we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, don't you? We know, we, we know that bit, don't we? We know that we're filled with the Spirit, that we might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, the Bible says. So the Spirit is sent so that we don't have to do it on our own because it's too difficult. You can't transform yourself. I can't transform myself. We try. It doesn't work. It's too difficult. We're complicated. So God gives us a Spirit to transform us. Amen? And gradually we, are, we keep, the Bible says, keep being filled with the Spirit that you might be transformed and might become more like Jesus. Why? That's not the end of the story. Again, the purpose is so that we might bring his transformation across the earth as we spread out. Amen? How exciting is that? 
So the job of the Holy Spirit is not just that we might be transformed, but actually that we might bring his transformation out into our culture, out into our society, out into our workplaces, our schools and our neighborhoods. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if there was anyone who was under the misapprehension that the Holy Spirit was to make our worship meetings more exciting. Because if that is the case, then get a life. Because the Holy Spirit is not here to make our worship meetings more exciting. He's here to transform the world. That is his purpose. Amen. It's so much greater. And so often we have such a small view of what the Holy Spirit is about. He might well make come. He probably will. May do all sorts of things as we worship together. But ultimately, he, his job is to transform us so that we might bring transformation into the places he puts us. Amen. How incredible is that? Good. If you've got that, then that's the main thing. You see, as we think about transformation, and I know that we have it on our heart. We want to see our society transform. We want to bring, that is on our hearts, isn't it? To bring uh, God's glory, to bear his image, to serve those around us, that, that they might see the God that we love and we serve. Uh, but we need to understand the incredible uh, strength of purpose that we have in doing that. And there are a lot, the thing is, and this is where we need the Holy Spirit in, in, in bringing transformation, just like with us, uh, transforming the world is quite a difficult job. I don't know if you've noticed. And so we need the Spirit to direct us. And we'll each, we don't have to all do it. We don't have to do the whole thing ourselves, but God gives us small jobs one by one to do, whether it be with our neighbor or in the workplace, that actually every place he gives us, we're, our prayer is, God, fill me with your spirit that I might reflect you, that I might bear your image where you've put me. And that's equally true on a Monday. Maybe it's more true on a Monday morning or a Wednesday evening than it is on a Sunday morning when we're here. That actually, God, you'd fill me, that you'd lead me to do the things you want me to do, that I might bring you glory and bring transformation, which is the same as saying, bring in your kingdom, isn't it? And so for those of you who say, oh, well, I, but I don't know what I'm meant to do for God. I'm not really sure. Well, pray to the Spirit because the job of the Spirit is to direct you in the things that will bring glory to God uh, and the things that will bring transformation. So ask. And for the other set of you who have a million ideas of what you'd like to do before breakfast, the great news is that a whole load of those things are never going to happen because the Holy Spirit is going to say, no, it's these other things that I want you to do. So all of us need to be directed by the Holy Spirit in this bringing of transformation. So we need to be very attentive to what is he doing uh, and how is he leading us and not despising the things that he puts in front of us. And if it's, uh, if it's, giving a cup of tea to your neighbor who's ill. You know, that is, that, that's, a, that's bringing the glory of God. That's bearing his image. That's bringing transformation. And little by little, as all God's people do that in the places where he's put them, so the kingdom of God comes in. Amen? It's exciting, isn't it? So really, that is what this whole series is about. That's the overview. Um, I get excited about this kind of stuff. This is, um, it's great. And before, uh, just by way of final application, and we'll come back into the detail in future weeks of the nations, and we'll pick up the story from Genesis 12 onwards. But right now, I want to, uh, uh, the, the key thing I want for us this morning is that we got a grip of our, our, our purpose in God. And that, that original purpose of filling the earth and bearing his image is what is restored to us in the gospel. Amen? And now, can I just finish by talking about Swindon? Because... Um, Swindon is, uh, believe it or not, the place where we've been put, and therefore the place where we are to live out this 
being filled by the Spirit, that we might bring transformation. We're here for Swindon. And you, you know, the great thing about understanding our, purposes, our purpose in God, I, I believe, is that we get, we'll get both more and less attached to the place where we live. So I think we get more attached to the place where we live because we realize that we've been put here by God for the very purpose of bringing his glory in this place and bringing transformation. And that is ultimately, that's an exciting mission to have, isn't it? So that's going to make us very excited about Swindon. But also, on the other side, I think we're aware, uh, when we have our big understanding of what's going on uh, across the world, is that God is... uh, advancing his kingdom right across. He's scattering people right across. And he may well direct us individually to go somewhere else to do something uh, in, by way of transformation that he wants our particular, uh, who he's particularly made us and the gifts that he's given us. He may need them somewhere else, just in the way that he's spoken to Donna and said, I'm giving you a vision for Burundi and I want you to do that. So there may be others of us. There will be others of us that God speaks to in that way because this is a, a worldwide uh, mission that God is in. He's in to the business of reclaiming the whole world and bringing his kingdom into the whole world for his glory. And so there'll be all sorts of different jobs and there'll be a mixing of different nations and diversity for the very purpose of bringing him glory. So I think it makes us more and less attached to the place where he's, give, where he's put us. But those of us who are here for now uh, need to be excited about the place that God's put us because he's put us here to bring transformation. Amen? So I want to say personally, as leadership at Gateway, and I want this to be uh, our ethos as a church, if you like, is that we love Swindon. Now, interestingly, there's lots of different views on Swindon. This came up the other week when Angela Kem was here. I don't know who uh, was here on that Thursday night when Angela was speaking, but it came out, didn't she? Because if you were there, you'll know that she said, oh, the people that I've been telling that I'm going to Swindon, they think I'm going to this very affluent, well-to-do place where there's very little unemployment and it's a really nice part of the country. And that was what everybody had said to her. And there was this kind of ripple around the room in here where everyone was like, oh, no, that's not how people think of Swindon. We, we thought it was a place that people looked down on and that it's not very exciting and everybody avoids Swindon. And, and, and maybe the truth is that actually that is the view that's more amongst the people who live here right now. But my, my, uh, my proposal to you, my, uh, what's the word, what you need to do um, this morning is to ha- believe a, bit of a different story about Swindon. That actually God has incredible purposes for this place, that he wants to show his glory in this place, that he wants to bring transformation in, in this place. And his primary vehicle for doing that is the church. Uh, the church, that's not just us, that's the churches together. Um, and I believe that we need to start believing this different story about the place that God's lo- God loves, which is Swindon. So let's have no more of the, oh, we don't like this place and it's really miserable and it's not very exciting. No, this is the place where God has put us. And if you want to have a, a, um, a, a first, an ABC first lesson in how to do this, then you need to go on Faye Howard's Facebook page because uh, just yesterday she did a brilliant post uh, about uh, how great Swindon was and how she didn't have time to get around all the great things that were happening. It was Old Town Festival, etc., etc. Uh, so yeah, so, so follow her lead. If you don't know how to do it, ask her what to do. But we need to love this place and we need to believe that God has put us here to bring transformation. Amen. I love, uh, uh, Andrew was here the, a couple of weeks talking about the, the fate that they had had at the gate on the Saturday. Maybe it was last weekend, was it? Um, and I love, I, I think you didn't say this bit in the story. I think you said this bit to me afterwards in the week. 
And he said that there was a lady that came up to him and didn't realize what we were doing in the furniture project uh, as we were there in Havelock Square in the, in the middle of town and said to him, oh, it's great what you're doing. It's just a shame that you've got these guys on the benches here who are drinking. And, you know, it's not so good having to do that uh, next with them there. And Andrew, with, with a complete calm and presence of mind, I would never have thought of this, but uh, he said it so brilliantly. He's like, but, but don't you think those are the very people, actually, that we're here to bless and to serve and to... And he was basically saying this, that actually we as the people of God are here to bring transformation and actually to see, uh, to bear God's image, to be how he would have been and see his kingdom come in this place. It's, an, it's a very exciting mission that God has given us. Uh, and we need to be excited about what God is doing in Swindon because when Jesus looks at Swindon, he says, that is mine. And I want my glory to be seen in that place. Now, I'm going to finish off with one very quick video because uh, Authentic were right on message with this preaching series on Friday night. So they got together um, with the uh, mission of how to uh, love Swindon on Friday night and to come up with ideas. I think they were starting to do some stuff. Anyway, Megan put a video together, uh, which for me just sums up this uh, mission of ours to bring the transformation of God in Swindon. So I'd love to finish by just showing you uh, this. Well done, guys. Great job, great example of what we're about. Can we stand as we close? We're going to pray. Let's just ask, can we ask God to recommission us for this great mission in the place where he's put us? Can I invite you just to lift your hands Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us and restored us. We thank you that we have this incredible relationship with you, this hope, this future. But Lord, we understand that we now have a job to do, to bring your glory, to, to advance your kingdom, to bear your image, to serve those that you put us around, Lord. And so, Father, we pray, equip us. We pray, Holy Spirit, fill us that we might be transformed and that we might bring your transformation, the transformation of your kingdom, of restoration, Lord, that we might bring that to the people that you put us amongst, that we might bring that to the place where you put us. So, Father, I want to pray that you would speak to us today. I want to pray that you would excite us about this, that you would lay things on our heart, that uh, ways that we're to serve, whether it's one individual or some great project. Father, we pray, lead us, Holy Spirit, because this is your work. And Lord, we want to glorify you in all that we do. For your glory, Lord Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Amen.